Have you ever considered the impact your work environment has on your health and your productivity? Enter Uplift Desk, a revolutionary standing desk designed to transform the way you work. And that's just the beginning of what Uplift Desk has to offer. With an emphasis on ergonomics and customization, Uplift Desk offers a solution that caters to the dynamic needs of modern professionals. Whether you're coding, designing, or podcasting, like I am right now, the flexibility to switch between sitting and standing can significantly enhance your focus and vitality. What makes Uplift Desk stand out is not just their commitment to quality and innovation, but also their dedication to creating a healthier workspace. With options to customize from over 100 desktop materials and a plethora of accessories, Uplift Desk ensures that your work setup is uniquely yours, promoting better posture and movement throughout the day. And here's an offer to get you started on a healthier work journey starting today. Go to upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting for 5% off your order. That's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting to get 5% off your entire order. Your health, your productivity, your future self will thank you. Again, that's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting and get 5% off your entire order today. Have you ever had that heart-stopping moment when you realized you forgot the password to a critical account? I have, and that's exactly why I switched to 1Password years ago, and honestly, it's been a game-changer. I can't do without 1Password, and I know that if you give it a try, you will feel the same way. And when you support our sponsors, then you support the show. So I encourage you to check out what 1Password has to offer One of the things 1Password has to offer is it combines top-tier security with an award-winning design, making password management a breeze for anyone, anywhere. From the moment I started using 1Password, I said goodbye to the days of resetting passwords and worrying about security breaches. You see, 1Password isn't just about convenience. It's about saving you from the real cost of data breaches and the daily time suck of password resets. It works seamlessly across all your devices, filling in passwords for you so that you can sign in with a click. And the best part, all you need to do is remember one strong password that protects everything else. I've been using 1Password for as long as I can remember. My family is using it. Everyone in this household has bought in. It's, again, a game changer. It's completely transformed how I handle my digital security and my family feels the same way. We've gotten away from using the same passwords again and again and again, or sticky note reminders or having that notebook that says passwords I must remember. Plus, 1Password is trusted by millions, including giants like IBM and Slack. With 1Password, my digital life and my family's digital life is not only more secure, but infinitely simpler. And look, if you've ever been frustrated by a family member constantly asking for passwords, 1Password's secure sharing has been a total relationship saver for me. It's so secure that the Associated Press relies on it in high-risk areas, which means it's more than capable of keeping your digital life safe and streamlined. So why not make the switch? Protect yourself, your family, and your business with 1Password. It's the simple and secure way to manage your digital life. And right now, listeners of A Productive Conversation get a free two-week trial at onepasswordcom slash productive convo. 
That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash productive convo. Again, onepassword.com slash productive convo. Check out one password. I know you'll fall in love with it like my whole family has. Again, that's onepassword.com slash productive convo for two free weeks. Check it out today. Do you want to be like a good, like, what's your goal here? It's like, I want to have like a million subscribers. I want to have like, I want to be like Lily Singh. And I was like, okay, I know exactly what you need to do. Make 1,000 YouTube videos. Welcome to the Productivities Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Vardy, and this week on the show, I'm honored to be joined by a fellow Canadian who is completely awesome, uh, so much so that he's written a lot of books about being awesome. His latest book, You Are Awesome, How to Navigate Change, Wrestle with Failure, and Live an Intentional Life, is out on shelves now. Neil Pasricha is on the show today. I guess I should have said is out on shelves now. Uh, and what we're going to talk about today is resilience, productivity, all the things that can make you awesome. The last three chapters in this book in particular are something I think is going to resonate with the audience. We got into a lot. This episode is a little bit longer than usual, but it's well worth your time and attention. So let's just get into it. Here's my conversation with Neil Prasricha here on the Productivityist Podcast. I'd like to welcome Neil Prasricha to the Productivityist Podcast. Neil, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Mike. So uh, you've got a book, another Not Mark. book. Mark. Mark. <laughs> For those that are <laughs> those that were not privileged enough to hear the preamble, we were talking about pronunciations. And uh, mine, Vardy is pretty easy to pronounce, but th- what they do is that people translate the R part to Mike, so it becomes Mark Vardy, which has happened on numerous occasions, both in you know what? and audio-wise. Go ahead. You know, well, like, Mark, Mike, uh, I was laughing when you told me that, that, that people transpose the R from your last name and put it in your first name, because that's hilarious. But the funniest typo I often get on my last name because my name is Neil Pasricha is I get Neil Pastiche and it took me a long time to figure out why P-A-S-T-I-C-H-E and you know why? Autocorrect. It's the autocorrect <laughs> version of my name. Because <laughs> it Pastiche. happened to me. It, I dictated uh, an email to you and it it didn't it didn't translate and so I said okay well let's do this and it autocorrected to Neil Pastiche and I'm like that's hilarious. <laughs> Don't you love it when you know someone well enough that like your specific spelling or specific like inside joke gets autocorrected to that? Yes. But what I hate is that my wife's name is Anne and no matter what, it always says and. So I actually had to go into the iPhone settings and change the, the you know how you can do like pronunciation yeah. versions? I had to yeah. change it to the wife. The wife. <laughs> So whenever I say like the wife is out of town, it sounds really like almost derogatory. It's like, oh God, but it translates it to Anne, which is hilarious. That's so funny. I had to do it. So So I had to go into the iPhone settings and, you know, instead of Anne, I I wrote the old ball and chain. (laughs) I could have done that, but that's too long. It's not, it's not efficient enough. Um, So I want to, the, the, the book that I'm looking at right now, you are awesome. Nine secrets to getting stronger and living an intentional life right out of the gate. When um, humble uh, humble poet who's been on the show as well said you 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 got to talk to each other I'm like great um, I've read uh, your works up to this point so when I was going to, through the introduction um, what I didn't necessarily recognize is what each of the books that led up to this one at least the 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 you know the mm. the book of awesome and 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 the happiness equation led to so this book is 
when, when, when you look at a face value on the coverage, like you are awesome. It's like, okay, but really there's a much deeper message here that is permeated throughout the book through the nine, the nine arrows and stuff. Can we talk about what the book ultimately is really about and then dig into that yeah. a bit? Sure. Absolutely. Well, the book is ultimately about resilience and actually, unfortunately, Mike, um, since the time you got that version, which is the galley copy or the early reading copy, into the time the book's going to get published on November the 5th, we actually changed the subtitle. So now, okay. actually, now the subtitle is, it's still You Are Awesome, but the subtitle is now, and this is more informing your listeners, it's called How to Navigate Change, Wrestle with Failure, and Live an Intentional Life. The ultimate, so the book of awesome, my first book was about gratitude. Mm -hmm. The happiness equation, my most recent book is about happiness and you are awesome my latest book is about resilience and when people say oh neil like why why you why you switching from happiness to resilience it's like no i didn't go looking for resilience resilience came to me because i would be giving speeches about happiness and sure enough when you get off the stage you know the 12 people who are really interested that run up to you with the question and i start getting this question and, and i'll put it into like a form of a story because this is what happened you know, like a 50 something guy and like a suit, like a, you know, super kind of like successful guy, like runs up to me after. And he's like, Neil, Neil, what's wrong with my son? How do I fix it? I was like, excuse me. He's like, what's wrong with my son? I need, I need your help. What's wrong with my son? I'm like, well, what is like, what is wrong with your son? And he's like, well, he, he went to high school. He, he graduated. He, he, um, he was the captain of his football team. I was like, yeah. He's like, he's the valedictorian. I was like, yeah. He's like, he got straight A's. He, he, he's on diesels. He, he went to Duke. I'm like, wow, Duke, congratulations. He's like, yeah, he, he just graduated with honors. I'm like, yeah. He's like, he started his first job. And on the first day, he got an email from his boss, which my son perceived as being rude. He called me that night crying. He couldn't get out of bed and he didn't go to work the next day. He was so riddled with anxiety with the idea or thought that he potentially failed at something because he was given presumably some type of feedback and he's now like catatonic, like he can't function. And I was like, whoa, you know, what's interesting, Mike, is that when I tell people that story, actually almost everyone I tell it to has some sort of immediate resonance with it. They say, oh my gosh, my niece is so anxious. Or did you know one in three college students are now anxious? I'm like, but I'm like, why is that? And I look into the research and it turns out, and I'm worried about this too. Like I'm worried about it for myself and I'm worried about it for my own kids. Um, and here's what, here's the problem. And this is my belief, but it's based on research. We live in the best time ever. That's a fact. We live in the best time ever to be alive. You can press a button, a car comes to your front door, takes you anywhere you want. You can eat any food from any grocery store. You go to the grocery store, every, like there's all this food from any country. You go to a restaurant, you can order. You and I could right now decide that we're going to go to Mongolia and hang out at the Four Seasons tomorrow. And if we had the resources to do it, we could actually physically do it because the world will conspire to help us. There are planes. You can buy a ticket. You can rent a room. Like the world is awesome. We live in the most abundant time ever, ever. Okay. We trust the water out of our taps. We feel safe. We front door, any sort of, uh, your, your religion, your sexuality, you're not persecuted for that stuff. Like we, we good, we're good with you. You know, you're awesome here. But at the same time, Mike, and on the opposite end of the, of the scale, we've got high, highest ever rates of anxiety, loneliness, suicide, depression, mental illness, 
what is going on? I mean, honestly, what is going on? And I think the root of it is that because life is so easy right now, I mean, relatively easy. We don't have any famines. No one's getting shipped off the war. There's no economic depression. We're not going through the, pl- you know, anyone that has the plague, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. we're good. Infant mortality has never been lower, et cetera, et cetera. We actually do know, we no longer have the tools to handle failure or even perceived failure. So these days, when you get two likes on your Instagram photo, you think I'm a loser with no friends, right? You, you, when you get a nasty email from your boss or, or even a potentially normal email from your boss with feedback, and I don't, I didn't see, actually see the email in that story, you can't go to work the next day because you're, you're so, you're so worried about it. And, um, this is a problem. And so I look at my own kids and I'm like, oh my gosh, my little boys, they're five, they're three, they're one. I mean, how do I help them go? from failure prone to failure proof, from fragile to anti-fragile, from thin skin to thick skin. How do I toughen them up? Because the world, by the way, you know this, the world is going to tell you that you suck over and over again. The deodorant ad is going to tell you you stink. The magazine advertisement is going to tell you you're not pretty. The social media follower accounts are going to tell you you don't have enough friends. The like Literally everything in our world, all of our systems, all of our advertisements, all of our design is conspiring to tell you you suck. It, it's it's true. That's why they get has how you get. That's why they get you to buy anything. You you suck at this, so now you need fresh breath or whatever you need. And so, I know the world is challenging, and yet I don't know what the tools are to toughen ourselves up, so that when we get when we fall on the sidewalk, we can get up. We don't just lie there crying. And so I spent the last few years of my life writing the follow-up to The Happiness Equation. So that book came out in 2016. It took me three and a half years. And this book, You Are Awesome, is all about resilience, specifically the nine things people can do to harden themselves and toughen themselves and develop that. that so we're not just like porcelain dolls. What I love about the book as you go through it is there's there's research, which you've done. But the stories, often when you read books that are, you know, Let's categorize, if we want to throw them in at like nonfiction books, if we're going to talk self-development, personal development, whatever we want to say, there's there's a lot of anecdotes. Self-help. Yeah, self-help, whatever. They, they often have other people's stories. Then, But yours, I mean, between the research pieces, it's your story. And you talk about like, because I think a lot of people when, when, you, when, you, when you're an authority or you have uh, expertise in this area, like, well, um, I, I don't, he, has he faced this? You've faced a ton of this, you know, adversity and you've had to foster resilience along the way, right? Absolutely. The reason I even wrote the book of awesome was 10 years ago. My wife left me, my marriage ended, my best friend took his own life. I had no house. I had no place to live. I had no friends because my social network was through that relationship. I had six contacts in my phone. I lost 40 pounds due to stress. Everyone at work thought I was on like some keto diet, you know, like you look, you know, cause you lost all this weight. And that's why I started my blog, 1,000 Awesome Things, to cheer myself up. I wrote that every day for four years, and that formed the Book of Awesome. That's one example. I mean, in the, in the book, I also share other traumas and shames, and we could go into them if you want. But yeah, the whole the reason I'm even writing today, and it might look like a nice natural arc, you know, all these books on intentional living. I didn't know it was an arc. I just was trying to help myself. Mm. And same with this book. This is just me trying to give myself a prescription because I'm worried about myself. So let's start with that. Make it selfish first, and then, as you know, selfish art sometimes resonates with other people. 
Um, one of the things that, that as you were talking about resilience in the book, I started to think I'm a word nerd and we're going to get into the ellipses here in a little bit. Cause that was something that I'm like, I love that. Cause all, when I send an email or when I do a Facebook update or something, I always put like the dot, dot, dot. In fact, we were talking mm-hmm. about the iOS thing. And one of the things I, I do say is, uh, when I'm dictating something like dot, 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 and people go, just say ellipses. I'm like, no, 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 dot, dot, dot does the same thing. It, it takes, it takes care of it. Um, the, the word resilience versus say the word, um, grit, right? Cause we, we, you know, Mm-hmm. or or perseverance what there's got to be what's the distinction that you carry among between that word and say like grit or or perseverance or or any word that might be kind of confused with it because i think there is there are distinctions resilience means how to get back up so resilience carries inside the word the presumption that you have fallen that you have failed that you have tripped or that you have slipped that you have somehow gone down a notch or you know you've you got someone dumped you you got fired um your spouse asked for a divorce. You dreamed of going to Harvard and you channeled your entire five years of high school towards it and you got rejected. So I see grit and determination as being like <laughs> and failure and, and uh, resilience actually carries inside that word some failure and then failure recovery. So let's talk about the ellipses now, because I think that. By the way, I don't think the definition of perseverance in the dictionary has a bunch of grunts. <laughs> that was just that was just my paraphrase. Yeah, the audible version might, but that's. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that would be a great book, the audible version of the dictionary. Yeah, Hilarious. Yeah, audible Webster's. It'd be great. Um, and especially you could hear like because then you can hear nuance, right? And the it, voice it, is very important there. Right. Right. Um, and and I think that. Like when you're talking about the the idea of the dot dot dot, what let's go there first because there's nine arrows, there's nine you know nine secrets that you're talking about in this in this book. But the dot 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 caught me right away because mm-hmm. um, the the idea of uh, you do, both you you don't know which is both freeing but also terrifying all at the same time. Yeah, so the the book has nine secrets in it, and actually, Mike, there was a structure that we got we got removed just to make the book. I always try to crank the dial on accessibility sure. and uh, simplicity as high as I can. Sometimes that means sacrificing a little bit of the book's structural complexity. So a little bit of behind the scenes for the listeners is the original totems were the first three secrets were called "As You're Falling," the middle three secrets were called "At the Bottom," and the final three secrets were called "Getting Back Up." Okay, but we remove that to be a little bit more simple. And the first secret now is called add a dot, dot, dot. I use the story of my mom's traumas, many of them uh, being born the wrong gender in a culture that was expecting and wanted a boy. Um, added to that, uh, a dictator taking over you know, East Africa, her father dying at a young age, her being married off uh, to a man she met once into an arranged marriage, moving to a continent that she'd never been to before in a city where she knew nobody, in a town that was 100% white when she was brown, where everybody ate meat and she was vegetarian, so she had to eat meat. There's like no choice. And um, basically, literally every time that happens, like she hit another wall – I saw and my mom her change the period at the end of her sentence, and I'm using that word sentence kind of purposefully with the two to two meanings of it, um, like a, like a like a sentence and a sentence, um, uh, like a like a prison sentence. I got gotcha. like Yeah, yeah. I'm like I'm like, did I explain that really? <laughs> Do I get this? Do I get it? Yeah. No, I got it. Like, I got I it. I guess got that before you explain it three times. If you did not get that, email me at podcast at productivity.com <laughs> and we'll we'll straighten it up for you. I'm like, oh, I'm just like, no, this is just me kind of talking in circles around myself. But here's the thing. Um, she always turned the period into a dot, dot, dot. 
And she often did this by inserting the word yet, Y-E-T. So when it's like, I don't eat meat, in her mind she thought, I don't eat meat yet. When my dad, who she met, like I said, a couple times, like that's it, and they got married, he's like, well, let's go ballroom dancing at the German club. She's like, well, I don't waltz yet. And this interesting little word, three letters, Y-E-T, you said you're a word nerd. It's like, isn't it amazing that adding that word to the end of a sentence can actually be the difference between I will never do something and I might? Absolutely. I don't I don't know Spanish yet. I don't like tofu yet. I can't speak Japanese yet. I'm not creative yet. I'm no good at relationships yet. I'm not nice to my mom yet. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so he did this little thing. And it was a magic mental trick. And so the book opens with that because I want to address people who are like I was at the that sort of bottom. You know, if you are if you literally just lost your job or just lost your relationship or just lost your home or just lost something, we all lose things, just broke a bone, just whatever. Then I want you to remember the very first step on resilience is simply choosing to keep going. One of the things that people try to do when they are trying to make big gains is they, or become awesome is they try to do awesome things. And when I'm saying awesome, I mean like things that are just so big that they almost seem, uh, insurmountable. You know, once you're into it, you're like, Oh, this is bigger, which is, we see this on to-do lists all the time. Like for example, me write book. That's just, I, your brain looks at that and goes, (laughs) what? (laughs) Whereas, as opposed to, as opposed to the idea of the, the small steps and you talk about steps in, in the book as well. And, and the importance of those, uh, can we d- dig into that idea a little bit as well? Because I think that a lot of people, when they're thinking about, you know, how that they, they are awesome and there's these things that they want to do and they haven't done these things yet. Instead of going, okay, I'm just going to, you know, do all of this now. There's, there's gotta be some steps along the way, right? Not just, not just to take something on, but also yeah. a, as your life progresses, everything is like, is, is, is a step. Well, here's the thing. I think of life like a staircase and, the beautiful thing about the staircase is that with any – let's think of every step on that staircase as like a year of your life. Well, with any luck, you'll get another step you know, every single year until you die. The unfortunate part about the staircase is when you look behind you, you can see it. You can see the, all the steps behind you. can see your prom night. You can see your first relationship. You can see the when you got your driving driver's license, whatever. But when you look ahead, it's invisible. The whole thing you can't see because you don't know what tomorrow looks like. The problem is, and this is based on a research um, study published in Science Magazine called The End of History Illusion. This report was done by Daniel Gilbert at Harvard University together with some colleagues. Uh, Daniel Gilbert, by the way, is known for writing the book Stumbling on Happiness. turns out that our brains are all the same. When we have something go wrong, we believe history ends now. They interviewed 19,000 people for this study. They asked them, how was the last decade of your life? And everyone said, oh, tumultuous, up, down, left, right, I moved, I got a new job, I lost a relationship. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How about the next 10 years? What do you predict? And did you know, no matter how old the respondents were, whether they were in their 20s, 40s, 60s, whatever, they all said, oh, I already know that. The research says, yeah, what will the next 10 years be like? They said, it'll be the same as I am now. I'll be at the same company. I'm sure I'll stay at the same house. Certainly Cindy and I are in a long-term relationship. You know, and, and, and it's like, no, no, <laughs> based on the interviews, every 10 years is tumultuous in all of our lives. Always. There is no such thing as stasis. The problem is when you lose a job, you think you're stuck there. You think I'll never find work again. 
And our brains play a little neurological trick on ourselves, which is we confuse the probability of change with the picture ability of change. Okay, what do I mean? Well, I mean, you can't picture yourself getting a new job, so you don't think it will happen. We confuse the probability of it with the picture ability of it. You think, oh, I'll be combing Indeed.com ads in the basement of my parents' house for 25 years. That's not going to happen. No one's unemployed for 25 years looking for a job every day. Are you kidding me? It just doesn't happen that much. But you think it will every time if you lose your job. You get, you get dumped. Even if you're 16 years old, you think, I'm unlovable. I'm not pretty. I'll never meet someone new. That was the love of my life. I'll never find someone again. They did a study in the Telegraph called – um, it's about how many one-night stands the average person has before they find long-term love. Turns out it's really high, <laughs> and and the average person gets cheated on, you know, cheats on someone, has had four disaster dates, has had like ten one-night stands, all this terrible stuff. And you ask anybody up front, you're like, hey, you want to do all that stuff? They're like, no way. But if you say, well, that's the path to a long-term love story, they're like, oh, see, our brains play a trick on us. We think we can't picture the future, so therefore we think it won't happen. Right. Right. Let's let's dive into Tim Urban stuff cuz I'm a fan and you you talk about a little bit about it in the book and the idea of and I think this this the ego uh, Ryan Holiday talks about this stuff too is I think ego can get in the way and the idea of one of the things that that's kept me back and I'll I'll throw a little bit of personal stuff in here is this book that I'm writing right now as as uh, and we're going through that process um it it should have been written in my mind a long time ago. It's something that's been there, but there's been things that have, like, what are people going to say? Is this going to, there's lots of other books out there that talk about this stuff. And you tend to get, the ego tends to get in the way, both in terms of, you know, everyone's kind of looking at me, but also uh, I'm not good enough to do this. And that, that can be an impediment to, to the, the feeling of awesome. And it can also keep you from getting back up, right? Absolutely. This is the thing. So you wrote on your thing. I love that you wrote on your wife a right book. And, and the reason I laughed when you said that was not because I was making fun of you. It was more because, oh my gosh, the sheer overwhelmingness of that <laughs> phrase, yep. like that would paralyze me. Right book? Yep. You know how long it takes to write a book? I would say, you know, Tim Ferriss has a famous quote. I, I don't know if he borrowed it or if it's his, but he says, my goal is always write two crappy pages a day. Right. So it was like 500 words, non-edited, terrible stuff. And if you can set your goal that low, then you can beat it. And suddenly on random days, you end up writing 10 pages. Totally, totally. So uh, when when one of the things you mentioned, I'll go back to the Tim Urban thing. And, and I, yeah. the, the idea of the story that you're saying, hey, everyone's yeah, looking at effect. me. Right, right. And mm -hmm. I mean, there's – this idea of of thinking that that's going on can hold you back too, right? So you talked about writing your book and how you were paralyzed by it because you were like, what are people think? What are people going to say? Et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. There was a study uh, that came out in the year 2000. Uh, there was the, the journal was called Current Directions in Psychological Science. These two guys, Thomas Gilovich and Kenneth Savitsky, coined this new term. It's called the spotlight effect. So it's the feeling that we are being noticed, watched, observed, and judged much more than we really are. Because we are the centers of our own worlds, we think we are the center of everyone else's too. Mm -hmm. But the truth is we're not. And so they, they had these students get together and like, you know, kind of rate themselves on their on their appearance or their skills in a video game and 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 um their athletic accomplishments. And then they said, Well, what do you think every here's how you rate yourself? And what do you think everyone else thinks? And what they wrote for how everyone else perceives them was much lower than they rated themselves. 
we think we are being unfairly and un, un, unjustly judged by other people. You mentioned Tim Urban a couple times. For anyone that may not know, he's the famous blogger behind the blog WaitButWhy.com. Maybe your listeners are all super familiar, but like as we talked before, like in any audience, you don't know how many people know this thing. <laughs> There'll be a link so to I, it in the show notes for sure. You love the blog. I love the blog. I think he's gonna. I think he's got a book deal, so I think he's working on a, on a book, which will be awesome. He's a super super great writer. And he illustrates his points with stick figures. And he has a famous post called Taming the Mammoth or how we talk to the inner voice in our head that sort of thinks we're not good enough and thinks we're being judged. And in the end of that blog post, which is, by the way, is well worth the read. It's got like hundreds of thousands of shares on Facebook. It's a very, very popular millions of hits kind of what post. And, I, I, and you put it in the show notes. He's got two cartoons. One is called um, How We Think Things Are. And it's like literally a stick figure of you and you're red and every other stick figure is looking at you and just staring at you. And one guy at the back is saying, move over. I can't see him. But then the second cartoon is, is based on the same research of the spotlight effect, how things actually are. And it's you in the center of a room and every single person around you, all the stick figures, are just walking around aimlessly looking at their cell phones. And the caption, of course, Tim is such a great writer. He wrote – no one really cares that much about what you're doing. People are highly self-absorbed. <laughs> <laughs> so blunt and so true. Yep. We put this spotlight. You know what? People don't care about your book. I hate to say it, Mike. And people don't care about mine. They don't care about that. Your book or mine. They care about their book. But we think that people care about ours. And actually, if they're going to buy your book or my book, it won't be because they care about you or the, your book. It'll be because they believe the messaging in the book will help them. They believe the story that's in the book will take them somewhere else. They believe it'll be a nice compliment to their beach vacation. They believe they will have something interesting to talk about at the book club. It's all about them. We are naturally selfish beings. Let's not deny it. Let's embrace it and let's function and talk about it openly. Have you ever looked into fasting and thought, I love the benefits, but I can't go days without eating? Well, that's where Prolon comes in, transforming the fasting experience with a plant-based nutrition program that tricks your cells into thinking they're fasting without actually having to stop eating. Developed through decades of research at the University of Southern California Longevity Institute, Prolon is not just another diet, it's a scientifically backed program designed to support your body's natural processes. Now keep in mind, this isn't about cutting out food, it's about providing your body with the right nutrients to enter a fasting state while still eating. The program includes snacks, soups, and beverages, all carefully designed to support healthy blood sugar levels, cardiovascular health, and even reduce abdominal fat. And the convenience? Well, it's unmatched. Everything you need comes in one box delivered right to your doorstep. Thousands of doctors now recommend Prolon for its health benefits, backed by Nobel Prize winning science. So if you're looking for a way to kickstart your health journey with all the benefits of fasting and none of the hunger, Prolon is the answer. And right now, Prolon is offering a Productive Conversation listeners 10% off their five-day nutrition program. Go to prolonlife.com slash timecrafting. That's P-R-O-L-O-N life.com slash timecrafting for this special offer. Again, that's prolonlife.com slash timecrafting. Check it out today.
Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make, or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it, and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. Okay, we're going to take a break from the conversation, but when we get back, I'm going to talk with Neil about the importance of failure. I wonder if he journals. We're going to find out. And also the day that Neil themes, because he uses daily themes as well, but a little bit differently than I do. So we'll get back to that after we talk about a way that you can kind of keep track of your days in a much smarter, more powerful way. And that's with Woven. Woven Calendar is designed for busy professionals like me, like you, who want to make the most of their time because time is money for you and for me. Woven Calendar takes the hassle out of scheduling by combining powerful scheduling tools like Woven Smart Templates, scheduling links, and group polls into a smart, collaborative calendar. With Woven, everything you need to schedule fast is at your fingertips. I am absolutely in love with Woven. I use it to schedule calls with my coaching clients. I use it to schedule calls with my podcast guests. I use it more and more every single week because it has just really revolutionized the way that I'm able to define my days, filter my focus, and make every moment matter. As an iOS user, I can use the dedicated iMessage app to schedule via text, and I'm just starting to explore Siri shortcuts, and Woven has support for that as well via voice command, and I I love to talk. So I think you should really give Woven a try. You can add it to your productivity stack right away. Just go to woven.com slash timecrafting and sign up for Woven today. You will not regret it. Your days will be better with Woven as your calendar of choice. If you're anything like me, you get a lot of email. Like, I mean a lot of email. And there's a chance that you can miss some important emails because of your overloaded inbox. Wading through forests of unread emails, tons of newsletters and follow-ups to find the one email you're looking for is a very frustrating experience. And it certainly is not productive. Seeing the number of unread emails growing every day is stressful, overwhelming, and taking the time to go through everything is a waste of time and energy and your attention. So the folks at Clean Email I've come up with a solution and it's a real game changer. First, Clean Email organizes all of your emails into smart views like social notifications, newsletters, unread emails, emails from project management tools, top senders, and so much more. I've just started to put Clean Email through the paces and I'm seeing a definite impact on how much time I'm spending in email, searching, exploring, and just being an email in general. And the proof is in the pudding. See, with clean email, you can quickly take care of those thousands of emails in your inbox, marking them as read, archiving them, labeling, moving them around by hundreds or even thousands all at once. It's a real time saver. And if you get a lot of newsletters like I do and do a lot of research, 
this can be a huge game changer for you. Here's something that's really cool. Once clean email has gone through your inbox, you can then set up auto clean filters to automatically archive or move emails around as they arrive. Now here's an example of one feature that I really like. It's the ability to auto archive emails as they become older than a couple of months. Now, I don't leave a lot of emails in there that long, but for those that I've missed, let's say again, uh, newsletters that I might've wanted to read or something like that, it's really, really helpful. And you can also use Smart Unsubscriber to keep your mailbox clean from newsletters that you're not reading anymore or noisy marketers that can infiltrate your inbox. Clean email was designed with your privacy and security of your data in mind. Since they are in the business of providing a great service in exchange for a fair fee, they guarantee not to sell or analyze your data. They are verified by Yahoo and Google and support all email providers out there. So here's what I want you to do. If you are tired of having an email inbox that is more like a jungle than a haven, then I want you to visit clean.email slash timecrafting and get 50% off the five accounts annual package. That's it. That's a big deal. And since we spend a lot of time in email, saving time there is a big deal as well. So go to clean.email slash timecrafting and get that 50% off the five accounts annual package today. You know what else is awesome? Education, continuing education. And the UCI Division of Continuing Education is here to help you with that awesomeness. See, the UCI Division of Continuing Education offers courses and certifications taught by industry practitioners in a wide range of categories, from business and leadership to tech, project management, law, engineering, human resources, and over 60 convenient certificates and specialized studies programs, both on campus and online, designed for the working professional like you. 100% online courses offer convenience and flexibility and a real immersive online classroom experience where you can even collaborate with your peers. And there's open enrollment. What that means is there's no application to complete at all. You just log in and sign up. You can advance your career in as little as six months. That's a huge time saver to becoming awesome right? And you can pay for a single course or enroll in an entire certificate program. You have full control over your academic plan. And here's the thing. The UCI Division of Continuing Education can help you gain an edge in your career. They can help you make a career transition or simply help you become more knowledgeable. If you want to take advantage of this awesomeness today, registration's open. So visit ce.uci.edu slash productivityist and enter the promo code TIMECRAFTING for 15% off of one course. That's ce.uci.edu slash productivityist, promo code TIMECRAFTING, and get 15% off of one course. Now, this offer is only valid until December 31st, 2019 at 11.59 p.m., so you want to do this now. Go be more awesome and register for a UCI Division of Continuing Education program today. Now, let's get back to this awesome conversation I'm having with Neil Pesricha here on the Productivityist podcast. I want to talk about the the idea of failure because that's what we've kind of the crux of resilience. You said falling down and then getting back up, and failure is a big, uh, big. There's a there's actually a friend of mine here in Victoria who I had the pleasure of sharing the stage with for TEDx Victoria, Adam Creek, who's an Olympian, and he talks about you know the idea of failure and the power of it. Um, you mentioned you know athletes, right? And we hear this a lot of time, like the best hitters in baseball hit the, you know, are 300 hitters. So they're missing the ball 70% of the time and, you know, all that stuff going on. What I think, and, and uh, Seth Godin, you know, the idea of how many things he's built and created that, you know, Mm -hmm. are so revered, but yet there's things that he's done that have kind of failed. Tim Ferriss, another great example. And, and there, you know, all anyone who's really pushed forward with stuff, they built something amazing, but the, you don't see the stuff that they didn't build. You don't see that behind the scenes. Um, 
I think that's a message that people really need to hear is the idea that, you know, um, and then I want to get into the, the choosing the right things to chase, but let's, t- can we dig into that a little bit? The yeah. idea of, of, you know, failure is important. Well, on chapter one, uh, page 141 of the book, I have a, a chapter headline that says, what do wedding photographers, the T-1000 and Nolan Ryan have in common? And I don't know if you've ever done this, Mike, but like sometimes I see like someone's amazing wed- wedding photos and I say to the photographer, oh my gosh, how did you take 50 beautiful pictures? And you know what they say to me? Every I've asked a lot of photographers this. They say the same thing. They say, oh, I just take way more pictures. I took a thousand photos at the wedding. So of course, you know, one in 20, literally 50 of them are gonna be awesome. Mm-hmm. You and I, when we go out and take pictures, you take one photo or you take like 10, but you don't take a thousand, you know? Um, T, you know, Nolan Ryan, let's stick with that. You, you mentioned uh, sports. I, I, I got this little book when I was a kid. My dad, it was like, I guess before like Wikipedia and before the internet. So my dad got me like a book of statistics. And so I would pour over this book of baseball statistics. I love baseball. And it was really like, I felt smarter, I guess, knowing like, you know, Hank, you know, who hit the most home runs and how many did he hit and all this stuff. I was about to start quoting the numbers and I was, re- I was realizing that was going to be super nerdy, A, and I might get them wrong now. So um, I noticed something. Nolan Ryan had the most strikeouts ever. And I think he still holds the record. It's 5,714. But then I, I looked on the most walks page. Like it was a weird baseball stats book. I was like, they're keeping track of walks. Sure enough, walks are bad. But he had the most walks too, which is 2,795. I was like, that's weird. The guy kind of considered like the best pitcher in baseball at the time, like the most strikeouts of anyone. He also has the most walks, like literally the best possible stat and the worst possible stat. He owns both of them. And I looked more into this and I realized, oh, you know, the Cy Young Award, the best mm-hmm. pitcher every year yep. in baseball. Well, it's named after a guy, right? A real guy named Cy Young. You, you may know he has the most wins of all time, which is 511, which is astounding. But interestingly, you may not know, he has the most losses too, 316. And so when I, I get a little bit frustrated when I watch like Sunday Night Football and they always say something like Tom Brady like broke the record for most yards or like – yep. Or Drew Brees has – I'm like, no, man. They're just old. Like yeah, if yep. you looked at how many missed – Tom Brady probably has the record for most missed passes too. Yeah. Probably has the record for like most um, – what, whatever the worst stat you could think well, of. Brett Favre, Brett Favre's revered. He's a Hall of Famer um, or a potential Hall of Famer at this point. Uh, he has uh, le- led in touchdowns I think for a long time, but he also led in interceptions. Right. right, exactly. So, like, we are putting people on pedestals. A, that's fine. But my point is, if you want to be in a pedestal, all you have to do is triple your loss rate, quadruple your loss rate. Then your win rate will naturally go up. I said to my friend, my cousin, um, my little cousin, he wanted to be a YouTuber, and so he sent me like two or three of his YouTube videos, and they were okay, they were good. But I was going to be honest with him, so I said, "Hey, hey, Ben." Do you want to be like a good – like what's your goal here? He's like, I want to have like a million subscribers. I want to have like – I want to be like Lily Singh. And I was like, OK. I know exactly what you need to do, but I don't know if you can do it. He said, what is it? I said, make 1,000 YouTube videos. I said, it might take you a few years, but by the time you're done that, I guarantee you'll have like a million subscribers. Like by then, you will have figured out how to do it. You will know the secret sauce. You will have learned so much and you'll have put so much out there that maybe one in a hundred of your videos goes viral, but that's enough to gain another 100,000 new subscribers. Look, I wrote a thousand awesome things on my blog. That's the name of my blog. Do you think they were all good? (laughs) Lots of them stunk. Lots of them were terrible. But because I had a post called Old Dangerous Playground Equipment, number 980, it was my 20th post. It went viral. So my first 20 posts got 10 hits each. Then my 20th got 50,000. 
And 5,000 of those people stayed along for the ride and developed a base level of readership that I never lost. Then every time I had a viral post, another 5,000 stuck around. By the end of my blog, 50,000 people were reading every day, but it took a lot of work, maybe one in a hundred posts actually going viral. Yeah. And that's, the I mean, it's, we hear that, you know, the 10,000 hour rule, right? You know, Gladwell has talked about that. Like it's, it's, you put in the time, you're, you, but you're right. You don't see what, what goes on behind the scenes of the failures and how you feel about them too. I think that's the other thing, right? Do you, I mean, obviously the blog is an outlet for you and was an outlet for you, but do you keep a journal? Do you keep like a journal to kind of say, yeah. Hey, so you do. Okay. How's, I how, keep three. how's that look? Okay. How's the, how does, uh, how does that whole my, process? So look? here's the thing, like as someone who researches positive psychology and writes about it, you know, essentially for a living, yep. I feel like it would be hilarious if I didn't <laughs> journal because I, there's no study with more impactful results than all these studies done on journaling, the power of it, you know, it turns out and just quick, quick summary for those that may not know your brain has a visual cortex. In that visual cortex, you got an area called Area 17. When you listen to an awesome podcast, uh, Area 17 lights up. If at the end of the night you journal about that, even just writing down, like I love the I love Mike's show. You know, he had Humble the Poet on. It was, I learned something. I learned a great quote, and I found a great book. Whatever. If you write about that experience, your your mind actually relives it. Your uh, brain does not know the difference between what's happening in real life and what you're writing about because you, you get lost in your mind. It's why you can fall into a good book. Same same thing. But if you read your own journal, then you're also tripling it. You get a, a tripling effect. So we know how powerful the journaling research is. So I do three things. Number one, I've actually printed my own journal. Uh, I do it with Chronicle Books. It's called Two Minute Mornings, and it's based around a chapter in this new book, You Are Awesome. And it's a two-minute morning practice based on science where every single morning I wake up, and I fill out three simple prompts. They are, I will let go of, I am grateful for, and I will focus on. That's how I start my day. It takes two minutes. You're awake for a thousand minutes a day. So I say this is a 0.2% lever to make the other 99.8% of your day happier. The second thing I do is I subscribe to an online service, which is free. You can put it in the show notes. It's called awlife.com, A-H-H-L-I-F-E. You set the time and frequency. I chose Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 9 p.m. They email you with a prompt that you reply to over email, and it keeps the repository online. Some people are like, oh, I don't trust this online website. Fine. But if you just read your own sent items from your own inbox, you will find your own journal entries. It's just mm -hmm. a therapeutic practice in your email. And the third and final thing I do, Mike, because you asked, is I keep a gigantic blank uh, pad of paper, essentially free-forming. And I use this almost like a, like where some people might pop a Valium or pop an Ativan or something. I will actually pull out the pad and just freeform write if I'm feeling anxious or stressed. And by the time I'm done a page or two, it's gone every time. Yeah. It, journaling, it's one of those things that I think is highly undervalued for productivity too. Because I mean, it, it you know, you can look at your calendar and your to-do list and get a sense of things, but it's the, the, the content, the emotional component, the, the, the things like where I can say, Hey, I had a great conversation with Neil today, but if I looked at the calendar and just saw, Oh yeah, Neil was on the show. Like it doesn't create the same kind of mm -hmm. resonance. Right. And, and so what's your journaling practice? So I, I, the, I, it's part of my evening routine. I'm a night owl. So I don't journal in the morning. I journal in the evening. And it's also to get my brain to kind of close out the day. Cause otherwise I'd be lying in bed. Do you remember the grunting that you talked about when it came to grit? I'd be like lying there going, Ugh. 
I can't sleep, right? Um, and so I, at the end of the day, I do the following. I um, And we're going to talk about theming days here in a second because you've got a specific type of day that you like to put in place. But I, I ask myself, did I, what was today? Today was Friday, Thursday, let's say, as we're recording this. What's the theme of today? Today was learning day. Did I make learning my overarching focus for the day? Yes or no? Yes, wow, I did. Right? That's cool. And then what I can do is if, if it says no, well, why? Well, because, you know, I was traveling. Oh, well, like, so I, if I need that much structure, I can do it, but I'm not married to it. So, you know, some days I will just freeform say, you know, I felt like crap today. You know, my wife and I had an argument. I don't know why that happened. Or my kids are, you know, I'm feeling like I'm not being that great at what I'm doing with my kids. Or I felt like, you know, we went to the water slides and it was great. And, and, you know, so sometimes it it depends, but the thing is I have to make it consistent. Like it has to happen every night. And I almost always attach a photo to it because just in case it's like that third fail safe, if I don't decide to use like the themed component, or I don't want to just, I just, don't have anything off the top of my head that I want to write about. I can just look through my phone and say, "Oh, what did I take a photo of today?" And I almost ah. take I almost take photos now as that third fail safe. Like today, um, my what do you wife, do with the pictures? What do I do with them? Yeah, like I, where I, do they end I, up living I, forever? So, if so, anywhere. So day one is the journaling app that I use. I use uh-huh. because I can also um, dictate, but I also keep a. What I'll do with those is I have an album in in you know the cloud or whatever that's called like this is the and, and I use layout the layout app that you can get that you normally would post to Instagram because that's what it's for. I just take that photo and use that. So I have a whole album because layout creates an album. And that's, I know that the layout album is all the photos that have gone inside of. So if, so today I've already taken a picture. My wife went to the, she goes to the Yukon once a month um, to do acupuncture. Who doesn't? Yeah. You know, so that's where she's from and she's got like a good, a good clientele up there. <laughs> a, it's you're like, on the West coast. A, B, yeah. she's from there. Yeah. I, I'm starting to cut. It just sounded funny. Well, no, but the other thing, but the other thing is, is, you know, you know, those tailors that show up, you know, at, at hotels like once per month and they say, Hey, we're in town. We've got these custom fittings book your appointments now and you go in and you're like, okay, yeah, this person's coming. She's kind of like that person that shows up in town for like four days and there's like three acupuncturists in Whitehorse, maybe. So, so she's booked, like she, she's on a plane right now as we're, wow. we're speaking, she'll land. And within an hour of landing, she's at her clinic that she works at. She works at a spa and she'll be booked solid from today all the way through until when she leaves to an hour before she leaves to catch a plane back here to Victoria. Wow. So, so that's what she does. And it basically is well worth the trip. But what I did today is I dropped her off at the ferry terminal. It was like a six, she had to be on the 7 a.m. ferry. So I got her there like 630. But, but as she was walking away and was in the distance, I just took a picture because I know that. Oh, you interesting. Know, so it's just like, I want to remember that, you know, how I felt when she left because it's all, it's never fun, but you know, and I'm home with the kids. So, and it's meet the teacher night tonight. So there's I have uh, to go to both of them. Yeah, you missed that. So yeah, so it's all that stuff stuff. So the, I try to, I try to have three, three components and they all kind of, you know, it's, it, which again is kind of like the theming component that I talked about. Like, so I have the daily theme, right? So my daily theme is learning, learning day today, but it, so that's where my brain will immediately go. Okay. It's time to learn. Uh, what, what, what have I tagged that's learning? And then I look at that and then there might be another criteria. So if I've got like 40 learning things that I've listed in my to-do list, I'm like, well, how do I feel? Um, I feel like I've got a lot of energy. Great. Let me look at all the high energy learning I can do. And then that whittles it down even further. So that's, Do you ever feel constrained by your structure? No. You know why? Because um, 
it's 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 not I wouldn't say it's optional, but it's layered enough and nuanced enough that I can let it go if I need to. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's not it's not I don't look at you, it. At, you know that it's just for you. Yeah, exactly. You know that nobody's looking over your shoulder to make sure you did it. You don't have a there's no one cracking away. You're not one of those people. And I know people like this, like uh, Marshall Goldsmith, mm. who's a very famous author who wrote um, the book. What got you here won't get you there. Mm-hmm. Amongst other books, he said uh, on a stage, I, I saw him say this. So I know it's public. Because uh, otherwise I wouldn't just tell it. Um, he said, I pay somebody, pay somebody money to call me every single day and ask me three questions. And he told us the questions and I forget what they are, but it's something like, you know, what is your goal today? Um, what is your next step to accomplishing that goal? Um, did you accomplish your goal from yesterday? Like literally something as simple as that. It yeah. was like just like that. And he's like, I pay someone to do that because I know that phone call's coming. I know I have to answer it. And by the way, I tell them if I don't answer, you have to keep calling me till I do. And when I get that call, it forces me to actually do it. I was like, whoa, what a crazy system. Mm-hmm. Also, imagine you just had the dough to just be like, I'll just pay someone to phone me. <laughs> Wasn't hey, it, I just, I think, hey, yeah, here's some money. Just phone me. Yeah, I think Ramit Sethi had one where he had somebody that was paid to watch him blog or something. like. There was a post from a long time ago where he needed to blog consistently. So he had someone that sat with him that did that. I, I, I might be wrong. It might not be Ramit, but someone did. I, I'm pretty yeah. sure it was him. Uh, Sounds he, like him. Yeah. So, but the thing is, is that. For me, uh, and that's and that's why when I talk to people about this, they're like, oh, man, like you said, seven days structured, and I have other things in there. They're like, I, that must sound rigid. Like, you know, there's a rigidity to it. I'm like, to me, it's 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 my boundaries, and it works for me. But when I teach someone, like, hey, you should, th- like, here's how you should, here's how daily theming works, try it with one day. I don't say right. do all seven. So this, it's right. not like I started with seven and got there. And and right. actually, this is a nice, nice little segue to this, because you have a theme, you have a day that you kind of theme as well. Actually, yes. spoiler alert, you might have more. We'll leave it, we'll leave it at that. Um, but th- let's talk about that one, because I have what I call, like, tomorrow, which is Friday, is my deep work day, and it's mm-hmm. very similar. Right. So here's the thing. I used to work at Walmart. I worked there for 10 years and I worked there. This is, sounds hilarious to me now in retrospect, but I worked there while publishing five books, giving 200 speeches on the side. So literally my side hustle was ah, on the evenings and weekends, I'd like fly to California and give a huge speech and like be writing on the plane 10 hours, you know, five hours each way. And then I'd come back to work Monday morning. People would be like, oh, how was your weekend? And I'd be like, They'd be like, oh, I went to a barbecue. What about you? They're like, I'm like, oh, I flew to California for like an expensive speech and like wrote my next five <laughs> blog posts. People are like, who the hell are you? But anyway, um, I did that uh, because I, didn't, I wasn't married. I, I told you I came out of that divorce and, and, I, and I had no kids. So for me, it's like literally my evenings and weekends were just vacuous. You know, they were, they were empty. And so I filled them. And uh, uh, over time, I uh, – realized that after I met Leslie and this was a few years later and we got married and we had children, I was like, oh, I can't just kill my evenings and weekends anymore. I have a model about this actually in my last book, The Happiness Equation. I call it the three bucket model. A week has 168 hours in it. Divide by three, it's 56, 56, 56. 56 hours for sleep, that's eight hours a night. 56 hours for work, that's eight hours a day, including eight hours a day on the weekends. That's add in your commuting time or your emails, whatever. And then 56 hours for fun. And my fun, my side hustle, whatever you want to call it, was writing and speaking. And then when I had kids, it was like, oh, I want to be there for bedtime. Like, <laughs> I don't want to be the kind of dad that's like, I got to go to the coffee shop. Like, you put your kids to bed. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm a super awesome dad. Like, I, I, I think it'll be my greatest legacy. You know, I'll be certainly a father a lot longer than I'm doing anything else. So – so it's important to me. And so suddenly the middle bucket of Walmart of the writing became stressed 
because I was trying to fit my writing and speaking into that bucket as well. So I did two tests on myself, and I recommend this for any listener if they're contemplating a career change is ask yourself the deathbed question and the plan, plan B question. The deathbed question is what will I regret not doing more on my deathbed? And in my case, I was like, oh, writing books. And then, and then the second question, well, what will I do if it fails? That's the plan B question. What will I do if this whole thing gets messed up? And, you know, I become, no one buys my book, so I have to go back to work. And I thought, well, I've been having a great relationship with Walmart for 10 years. I, I think they take me back, even if it was at a lower position. So that gave me confidence. You know, I'm kind of a relatively low confidence person. So I, that gave me confidence to be like, I can find another job. So I jumped. And when I jumped, meaning I quit my job, meaning I did what our mutual friend Chris Gillibo recommends, you know, mm -hmm. live in the life of nonconformity, I suddenly found hilariously that my writing slowed down. A staggering realization for someone who quits their work to become a writer is that, oh, suddenly I'm meeting with web developers and I'm like on a call for a conference. I'm speaking more. So I'm, you know, it was just like literally I had no time to write. And so I had to, by force of necessity, create a day for myself I call untouchable days. I write them in all caps in my calendar, untouchable. It's the only thing I write in capitals on my iCal. I plan them out 16 weeks in advance, i.e. for me personally. It's the model. After the speaking calendar is pretty much set, but before my sort of personal, you know, before all the little meetings have added in, and I block an entire day where I am 100% unreachable by anyone at any time. Zero internet zero cell phone. I am untethered and off the grid. And even though I live in an urban environment, I can jump into a forest. I can end up in a bookstore. I can wander with cue cards in my pockets. They end up becoming my most creative, contemplative, and productive time because I zoom up to the captain's deck and I see if my ship's going the right way. Oftentimes it needs a little redirection, so I have an insight. And from an actual pure writing standpoint, when your phone and your internet are off, my writing went from 500 words a day to 5,000 words a day, 10x. Imagine 10 weeks worth of writing or 10 days worth in one day. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is like the secret ingredient. And I did a conversation this morning with a, a woman who hosts a show called Authentic Parenting. And her first question was, how do you get so much done? And honestly, Mike, the first thing I said to her is, oh, untouchable days. That's how, that's how I came up with my three books and podcasts, came from untouchable days. This new book came from untouchable days. My new keynote speech came from untouchable. Every single thing I do in my life that's good comes from carving out one full day, one full day every week, unapologetically, fully blocked off. I, I will I will reschedule meetings. If I have to move the day to like from a Thursday to a Friday, that's fine. You know, if Malcolm Gladwell says yes, I'll, I'll interview with you on your show, but but I can only do Thursday. Well, I'm going to move my untouchable day. Yep. But I can't make it jump the weed weekends. I think of the weekends like bowling lane bumpers. The ball cannot jump lanes. The untouchable day can simply move within the week. It cannot jump a weekend. The beautiful part of that rule is, of course, when you actually plant the untouchable day flag, you actually feel the high off the increased productivity right away. Absolutely. Because you know, you know it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, so for example, our conversation today is happening on a Thursday. I don't do podcast interviews normally on Thursdays. But when, oh, right? Because Wednesday is my listening day. So that's where I farm out. And so I actually have set up a structure where if people want to be on the show, they, and again, there's the exception to the rule. And you, you've got exceptions to your rule too, because it's like, okay, if, if Malcolm Gladwell says, hey, I can only do this day, you're going to move it. For me, it was like, hey, you know, Humble said, hey, you should talk to Neil. We set, I said, 
I'm not going to go. I'm sorry, dude. I didn't know. No, I no, 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 no. But here's the great thing is that because <laughs> I have that freedom, I can say, okay, Neil, Neil's an outlier. Let's use him. <laughs> He's an outlier in this equation. So I'm not going to go, hey, Neil, it'd be great to have you on the show. Here's a link. Go click on it because I don't want to be presumptuous in that case. Right. So mm-hmm. it's not like you came to me. So it create there's a different conversation there. And then I have the I'm able to be I'm able to be more nimble. Right. So it, right. by having that that day of saying this is when I this is the normal day that I do this stuff oh, this is an outlier. It becomes the exception to the rule. And then back to the journaling component we were talking about. If I all of a sudden am doing like podcast interviews all over the place and it's happening, I'm like, okay, is is listening day still working? Like, it, it, like why why am I doing things? Outside? Same thing with that deep work day. If I have too many things that have been accidentally bumped to that day, is Friday the best day for deep work anymore? So I am, I'm I'm kind of always looking at it, um, you know, when I, when I read my journal and saying, okay, does, wait a minute, I didn't get a lot of deep work done the last four Fridays. Why? Right. Like why? I'm evaluating it because it needs to, it needs to work and it needs to be consistent. And w- this past week I met with my video guy cause we're going to do, be doing more video stuff. And he said, well, when do you want to shoot videos? And I instantly knew that Tuesday's the day that I like to do video stuff. So I said, let's why? Do, I, you know that? Wh- why do I, why did I choose that day? Yeah. Yeah. Because Mondays and Fridays, the kids can be home and I didn't want to have their their interruption because of pro D days. Right. My wife works Tuesdays and Wednesdays out. of. She's actually at her practice. So she's not home Thursdays. She is. So immediately that eliminates Mondays, Thursdays, Fridays for both video and audio. So then I had Mm -hmm. a choice. Do I want to do audio work on Tuesdays or Wednesdays? And I said, well, I've been doing it Wednesdays for a long time. So let's just leave it there. But Tuesdays would be a great day to film because nobody will be home. No holidays fall on a Tuesday. The kids won't be home unless they're sick. And if they're sick, I just, I just, okay, that's life. That's what happens. So I was able to say to my video guy, can we shoot Tuesdays? He goes, well, when? I'm like, how about 10 to 2? Because my kids mm-hmm. get home at 3. So he's great. So from 10 to 2, that's four hours of unfettered, uninterrupted time. And again, being on the West Coast is helpful because a lot of people I deal with might be on the East Coast. So by then, they're already kind of wrapping up their day or in the latter part of their day. From 10 to 2, four hours of video work over the course of an, a four week span is 16 hours. There's a lot of stuff that I can do in 16 hours when, when it comes to YouTube content specifically, it's the same principles that apply like with, so technically I blocked off that time as untouchable other than for that particular type of stuff. So again, the great thing about this is it's, it's personal, right? Like you, you have, I think productivity and we, and you, allude to this in the book, the idea of productivity. And it's, it's, it's a chapter that, you know, when you pick up the book, you, you got to read because the idea of intentional living, my definition of productivity is intention plus attention. What's my intention? Mm, how am I going to pay attention? I like that. To, right. I like that. And so for me, that's how do I do, how do I pay attention is the, is, is the important part because I think what happens a lot is you have all these intentions, but you have no attention. So those intentions are powerless. And if you, but what we end up doing is having our attention and we pay it to things we have no intention of really doing or they're at our deeper intentions. So our intention is aimless, right? So I need to have both of those in place. And I think everybody does. It's just, how do they do it? Some people use systems that are already in place that might be too rigid. So they got to massage it. I was talking to a guy um, on the way back from Santa Barbara and he told we he said, Oh, you do this for a living. I said, yeah. And, and you, you've had a, a great conversation with somebody, uh, you know, you talk about a plain conversation as well, uh, in the book, but I, he said, you know, Oh, you're a time management guy. He goes, have you heard of the Pomodoro technique? I'm like, yes. And for those who haven't, uh-huh. it's 25 on four on 25 on repeatedly. And then you take a larger break. He said, well, I kind of do it. He says, I do, um, 
I do 50 minutes on and 10 minutes off because I'm a coder and I need the first 20 minutes or so to kind of figure out what I need to do and the rest of the time to do it. And I, and I said, well, you're doing the Pomodoro technique then. He goes, yeah, I, I guess. I go, yeah, you're doing it your way. Like you're taking yeah. the framework and then adapting it. Yeah, exactly. Right? These systems are all just aids to help you form your own insightful rule that helps you. Right. And ultimately they enable massive mental laziness for me because when I have an untouchable day coming up, I, there's nothing else I can do. <laughs> like I, like I, I, I mean, I guess I could go see a movie or something, but like, I'm like, I guess I have to write, like I have no meeting scheduled and I have no, nothing planned with anyone. So I'm like, well, the, the quote unquote, write book on the white, on the, on the, on the <laughs> whiteboard actually gets a little, you know, I, I chip away at it. Cause I have got nothing else to do and right. I can't go on the internet, you know? So Anyway, that's exactly what it was. By the way, hilariously, um, that quote that you mentioned is so interesting because it reminds me, I've never talked about this before, but when I graduated from high school, everybody left like a quote in their yearbook or, or you know, maybe like, you know, this is before emojis or like, Sarah, I love you or whatever. So everyone got like, you know, less than a tweet, you know, yep. we got like to put in the yearbook. And so mine was a quote by Mary Beard that said, um, action without education is fatal education without action is futile. Yeah. And that's not a direct composite of the, the quote you mentioned, but it felt like a corollary. So I wanted to mention that. Yeah. It's one of those things that, and, and you know, when I thought of that quote, it was based on, and this is, this is how these things get put together. You need that space. John Cleese has this great YouTube video. Yes, I'll link to it. Yes. You know, which one I'm talking about, right? I totally, well, I wrote about it in the happiness. Right. He talk, yeah, exactly. Right. So for me, it was, I was looking at Wayne Dyer's The Power of Intention, and I thought, and I just finished reading or hearing about Tim Ferriss getting asked again one more time how come he called his book The 4-Hour Workweek and how dare he, and he basically said, look, it think like he, he basically laid it out as to what, look, it's, it sells books, right? The 4-Hour Body sells books. This is what this means, right? So when, when I was reading The Power of Intention, seeing the book title, I'm like, The Power of Intention, yes, intention has power, but only if you give it the attention that it needs. Otherwise it's powerless. And then from there, it kind of spiraled into the, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, intention without attention is powerless. Uh, uh, attention without intention is, is, is aimless because we do, we spend a lot of time and, and those, those days, those untouchable days. And for me, the theme days as a whole, they give me an aim because otherwise, like you said, you'd go to the movie. If you, Oh, I don't have anything on my schedule today. Well, I guess I'm just going to go to the movie. Or the great thing about theme days for me is that, you know, when they're broad, when they're like kind of in the just right factor. So it, on, you know, today is my learning day. Well, once the kids are, I mean, I'm going to meet the teacher day night tonight. I'm like, Hey, great. It falls perfectly on my learning day. Cause I'm going to learn about it. my, right. So I, I try to apply those broadly, not just to work, but to personal life. And so when I choose things like that, that way I don't, it's a way of operating, right? Cause much like, you know, uh, eating healthy, it's not a diet thing. It's a lifestyle thing. And productivity is a lifestyle thing. And one of the things that you, you talk about in the book as we close to wrapping up here is, and I loved it because People tend to think productivity is about going as fast as possible, getting as much done as possible, checking off as many boxes as possible, but you got to slow down. <laughs> You'd you get into that. So can we dig into the, the idea of, of, because of, that's a big piece and I, and I want, I'd love to touch on that a little bit before we wrap up. Well, sure. And so it's called productivity, right? So did yep. you know, you probably did, and most people probably don't, and, and I didn't know this, that we have never been more productive in the history of our 
um, society. So McKinsey has this famous white paper. It looks at all the G7 countries, looks at the average productivity per employee from like the 1950s up every decade till today. Turns out we have never been more productive ever than now. Okay, and maybe you're surprised by that. Maybe you're not. The other problem, though, and I would like to add the label as a problem, is because we've had decades of what I call screw tightening. I'm talking layoffs, right sizing, efficiency, streamlining, mergers, acquisitions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I know, everyone's worth in the company knows. Suddenly the guy beside you gets turfed. They don't replace him or her. And where's that work got to go? And so that natural screw tightening that's happened over 20, 30, 40 years means that A, we are more productive, but B, we're suffering from burnout more. And C, we have no space. We have no – do you know how like the old mental image of like an office in the 80s and 90s used to be like a bunch of people hanging out at the water cooler? Mm-hmm. Like there was that even that cliche like, oh, it's water cooler talk. There is no water cooler anymore. Like there's no <laughs> – in any organization, there's less hallway talks, meandering. And yet if you inter- – so I interviewed Chris Anderson of TED for – and I always say of TED because there's like that other Chris Anderson. There's two Chris yep, Andersons. Yep, yep. Um, and so I interviewed Chris Anderson of TED for three books, my podcast, and he said – he told me that the design of TED is purposefully incongruent with lots of different lectures from lots of different people over lots of different days so that by the end of it, the incongruencies and the conversations and the breaks, et cetera, have formulated some new idea or thesis or direction in your mind. There has been time and space and incongruency that allows you to congeal into something more pure. Because we're all working so much and working so long and you know, again, there's no space, we don't have time to go for a nature walk at lunch, which by the way would be the, probably the best thing to do to increase your productivity at night uh, or in the afternoon. And I can talk about why if we have time. Uh, ultimately though, it, the gas from trees reduces your cortisol and, and we all have NDD or what I call nature deficit disorder. So that's just one example. But like, can you, if I said to you at, at an office, if I said, if you said, what's your best best prescription for for getting more done or not feeling so burnt out or, you know, I, I always, I'm always jonesing for like a donut and a coffee at 2 p.m., I'd say, oh, you need to go for a 30-minute nature walk with no cell phone at lunchtime. People would laugh at me, <laughs> yet, yet yep. it is ultimately the very best prescription you can give. That space creates distance, perspective, awareness, and an incongruent connective tissue to help you discover that phrase you just shared with me, but also helps anyone discover any insight into the, what they're doing. And it helps you ultimately focus on doing the right things rather than simply grinding and doing things right. So Neil, we're, we're, we're at, we're at the tail end for sure. Now we could go, we could keep talking. Like, I mean, you, you, you and I are having a great conversation here, but I want to respect the time of everyone listening. I want people to pick up this book. Uh, you know, now that, I mean, as the, we're recording this well before the book comes out, but as this episode airs, the book is now available. You are awesome. Where can people pick up the book and then keep up with you and your work, including your podcast? Make sure you mention that. Uh, every So thank you. Uh, the book's available everywhere. Wherever you buy books, your local independent bookstore, you get it from a big box like you used to work at a Costco or I used to work at Walmart. You love the Chapters Indigo chain up in Canada or you love the Barnes & Noble chain in the States, whatever. Um, or you you buy from the gigantic online mega corporation. You know, whatever it is, you can do it wherever way you want. It's called You Are Awesome, How to Navigate Change, Wrestle with Failure, and Live an Intentional Life. And if you head over to any of my stuff, neil.blog and eil.blog or my podcast, 3books.co, 3books.co, 
both those websites have been like like a load of them up with like just PDFs you can download of like chapters, introduction, table of Just it's all like I put as much up as for free as I was like kind of allowed to by my publisher. You can't I would happily honestly put the whole book up for free. Um, and many times someone emails me and they're like, oh, I, you know, I, I'm living in Bangladesh and I have the money. I'm like, here it is because I just want the ideas to spread. But if you want to check it out, that's the best way. And like, yeah, so that's man, I just told you a whole bunch of stuff. That's but great. That's the, all I, yeah. And the links will be in the show notes too. So if you, can, you just look, look in your podcast app of choice or go to, you know, productivity is podcast, you'll look at the podcast. I'll have the episode in the, uh, in the tail end here. So you can go to the URL directly and check it out. Neil, thank you so much for being on the show today. This has been in a word. Awesome. <laughs> I love everything you're doing with this, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. Big thanks to Neil Pasricha for joining me on the program today. You can find all the show notes in the podcast player that you were listening to, but also go to productivityist.com slash podcast 269 to get some show notes from there as well, as well as take advantage of the sponsorship offers that are there through the sponsors that we had on this episode. Now, if you enjoyed this podcast and I encourage you to subscribe to the show, whether you're listening to it in Spotify, which is making a huge leap in podcasting, and you can find my show there, whether you're listening to it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you're listening to it, subscribe to the podcast. That way you don't miss a single episode. We've got a lot of great ones coming down the pipeline, as well as a huge archive of over 268 episodes, all of which you will have guests that you've probably heard of before. Neil and I name dropped a few people during the episode. There's, I think, a few of those people that I've chatted with on this show. So please subscribe to the program if you enjoyed it. And also, if you enjoyed this episode, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening to podcasts. I check out all the feedback. There's a way for me to do that so I can see what you like, what you don't like, and I can make the show better. So Thanks for listening. And before I go, though, I want to share with you my productivity podcast pick of the week. And I want to share with you Seth Godin's podcast, Akimbo. Now, Seth was interviewed by Neil on his podcast, Three Books. And Seth was one of the first people I ever interviewed when I podcasted. That was back when I was doing the comedy stuff, when I was doing eventualism, which was originally known as effing the dog. And I interviewed Seth for that program. And it was one of those interviews where I just didn't know if it went really well. But then when I listened back to it, I'm like, oh, Seth gets it. And Seth does get it. He gets marketing. He gets so much more. I've been following his blog for a long, long time. And now that he's got a podcast, I listen to it every single week. There's a lot of great episodes. Opportunity costs he talks about. He talks about sunk costs, which is something I'm teaching actually my son about sunk cost fallacy, which is really interesting. There's no such thing as writer's block. Quality and Wabi Sabi. I'm actually thinking about doing some stuff on Wabi Sabi here, uh, both not on the podcast so much, but in my newsletter and on my YouTube channel. So check out Seth's podcast, Akimbo, a podcast from Seth Godin. This is my productivity podcast pick of the week. That's it for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. I am Mike Vardy, the host of the Productivity podcast and author of the upcoming book, Time Crafting, due in the summer of 2020 to hit bookshelves near you, reminding you to stop guessing and start going. See you later.